Thank you for listening to the First Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Here you will be able to listen to all of our Sunday morning sermons. Be sure to hit the subscribe or follow button so you don't miss a sermon. Enjoy today's message. I feel like I'm in a Hawaiian tropic commercial right now. Somebody complained, not, not, not maliciously, but just complained just before uh, I came into the room and said... Hey, I didn't get to notice that this was Hawaiian shirt day. I said, well, honestly, it didn't happen until about 4 o'clock on Thursday. And John, our children's pastor, said, hey, what do you think about making this Sunday Hawaiian shirt Sunday? And my first thought was not positive. (laughs) And I took a deep breath and I said, well, let me run home and see if I've got a Hawaiian shirt. I ran home, couldn't find one, didn't make the move. I went out to the uh, youth yard sale. They had, they had five of them that were in the uh, adult medium pile. By the way, young people, everybody that was involved in the youth uh, yard sale, please stand up and let me give you, let's, let's give them a hand. Very well done. Very well done. Good job. Over $3,000? Almost $3,900. Wow. Is that a record? Yeah. <laughs> as an aside, if, as an aside, I've asked CJ every once in a while, you think these people will ever run out of junk? <laughs> and we thought maybe, but I don't think so, CJ. Yeah, that's awesome. Very well done. Anyway, I was out in the adult medium pile, and I bought five Hawaiian shirts for the excruciating high price of a quarter piece. <laughs> so I had a dollar and a quarter invested, ran to my office, tried them all on, and they were women's mediums. <laughs> so for first service this morning, I did not have a Hawaiian shirt on. I had an orange shirt because that was the best I could do. In between services, I went and bought a Hawaiian shirt at Walmart. Yes, they do have them, and that's why we're here. But it's because Vacation Bible School is going to be starting tonight, Sunday night through Thursday night, 6 to 8 p.m., and if you've got grandchildren, children, neighborhood kids, this is going to be a great event. Chris Dribbling and her crew is decorated. Go down the adult hallway. It is awesome, awesome, awesome. Well done, well done. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because VBS is one of those life-changing opportunities for children and adults. And we, it's so cool to see adults that don't belong to our church join in helping in Vacation Bible School as well as kids that are having a positive experience and learning about Jesus and, and a spiritual aspect of their life that Nowhere, no one else is probably going to touch them in that way. And that's the uniqueness of the body of Christ, the church of God. So I'm super excited. So be in prayer. And after services today, we're going to need some help. If you're committed to that cause, we're going to need some help moving some chairs and tables to set up after church. And I'm going to remind you, lest you forget, because you are so in tune at what I'm going to say today, that you're going to walk out thinking about Romans instead of moving chairs and tables, that I will remind you at the end of service so that we'll get the help. But if you remember with me, we're in the book of Romans. And something that disturbed me 
in 2007 was a book published by the Barna Group called Unchristian. And what Unchristian exposed was for us evangelical, Protestant, Bible-believing, God-fearing, Trinitarian folks was that the next generations weren't appreciating us very well. About 50% of that next generation, and this is uh, what, 07 would be about 15 years ago. I can remember when this book came out. And what it said was that through their lens and their perspective, that Christians and the Christian church was hypocritical, judgmental, and homophobic. And I didn't like that very much. Because... That wasn't the church I know. And even today, people look at at the church and think right-winged Christian nationalism, and they affiliate that that way. Now, that's not, I don't believe, who we are. But that is a lens that exists. And I've got to say, that the church I grew up in was very much like that. So I had to step back and say, is that true? And how do we answer and respond to a culture at large that has that impression? And so as we Look at our passage today. We're going to be in Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through the end of chapter 3 today. We're going to look at that, and I've entitled this message, Religion versus Jesus, because I think that that is where we are. And if you will remember with me, I appreciate CJ preaching graduation Sunday and Mark preaching last week. Both guys did a great job, and Aren't they great preachers? Amen. We've got some great guys on staff. So we're going back to Romans, and I just want to take a quick, make a quick recap of remembering that Romans is about finding true north, and that in our culture and in our churches through this pandemic and all the upheaval that we've uh, uh, experienced culturally and in, in churches, that true north is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And everything that we believe, that we, we, we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And in churches today, and in our culture, the, the question then becomes, oftentimes, did God really say, and did God really mean what He said? And God still stands firm on his word. That hasn't changed. But we live in a digital Babylon. If you'll remember in my first sermon, I talked about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they, because of Israel, Judah's fall, they were the last to go, but that was because of Judah and Israel's immorality (coughs) and idolatry. I don't know why I do this. Judah's idolatry and immorality 
that these good Jewish boys were taken into Persia, into Babylon, and immersed in Persian Babylonian culture because the people of God were being punished because they had forgotten their calibration and true north for Israel. And so their names were changed, the language changed, the gods changed, the food changed, their education was changed. They were going to be brainwashed. And those young men said, no, we will not bow down to any idols. At the threat of their life. They were cast in the fiery furnace, and there was a fourth person in that fiery furnace that they believe was Jesus Christ or the Spirit of God that protected them in the fire. But we live in a digital Babylon today where every child, young person, has a cell phone that they can go anywhere and do anything and see anything. And as we as adults are also have those temptations in our hands, and our culture has dramatically changed, not for the better, but for the worse. And that has impacted church culture, because there are churches today that are trying to reshape the words of Jesus to, to make them more palatable to the culture. And so the question, did God really say, really matters today. Because I don't believe Jesus has changed his word or his mind in what he taught and who he was. And at the same time, folks, it's no surprise that the world doesn't have the values that we have, and we should never expect that the world to follow a set of kingdom values because we are to be significantly different because we are called to be salt and light. And the only way we can do that is by the transforming power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we walk step in step with Jesus. Now, I want to encourage you, because maybe you're hearing gloom and doom. Some of the darkest times in history usually preceded a time of significant spiritual reawakening. And I believe and I feel that that is going to happen. So be encouraged that God is not done. Now I want to review Romans 1 very quickly. I want you to remember that there's a difference between the gospel and religion. The Apostle Paul, as he talks about Romans 1, he talked about his calling, his commitment to the Roman people that was a very divided church, and also his commitment and conversion to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you've got to remember, the Apostle Paul was raised a good Jewish boy. And at the same time, I believe that the Apostle Paul in Romans, God has a lot of things to say to us. And there's a large, well, an amazing similarity between the church at Rome and the church today. And it is a church divided in a lot of ways, just like our culture. And when we look, the Apostle Paul in chapter 1, he said there were no Jews and no Greeks and the best or Gentiles, and the best way to look at this for me is I was basically almost born in the nursery, thanks mom and dad, of a church. I was raised in Sunday school. If I wanted to 
have any life at all, I went to church. It was not an option. Sunday school was not an option. Children's church was not an option. And I went to Wednesday night church and Sunday night church. You guys think you've got it rough now? Man, I was churched up to here. Played Bible Bowl, watched VeggieTales, went to the North American Christian Convention. Let me tell, how, tell you how good I was. You couldn't be any gooder to, than me. It was like a competition. I had Sunday school pins out the wazoo for attendance. And maybe some of you come from that kind of background. So you know the rules, you know the culture, you know the traditions, you know the ritual. Right? We do. We were raised that way. But then you've got a different point of view. And, and the Jews were that way. They knew the law. And you had the Gentile culture, which was, woohoo! All kinds of idols, all kinds of immorality, sexuality, you know, you know, party, 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 because of tomorrow we die. And then in church culture, in comparison to that, it's, you know, the folks that come in church that have never darkened a door, never had the, the upbringing, never had experienced anything, but, but they felt the presence of the Holy Spirit knocking on the door of their heart, and they made a beeline to the church. And they don't look like us, they don't smell like us. In fact, they've got, they smell like hell as they come in. They're barely saved, we would say. And they become a part of church culture, and they never quite feel like they fit in. And the Apostle Paul is going to address this and say, you know what, it really doesn't matter because at the foot of the cross, the ground is level because there's no Jew, no Greek. Yeah, thank you for that golf uh, applause, that one. But that's true, isn't it? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we look at this passage, when you hear Jew, I want you to think good Christian church attender, ritual, traditional, whatever you want to say. When you look at circumcision, I want to think, I want you to think baptism. Okay? I, I, I want you to make these giant leaps. And if you will, join me in chapter 2, verse 17, as we start our study. And as I preach through Romans, and hopefully if you're online like I was online last week, I hope you've got your cup of coffee. I hope you're taking notes. I hope you had your, your cracker and your juice for communion today. And I hope you tune in and, and really focus on what we're talking about because we value your presence as well. So, here we go. Verse 17, but if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. And I want you to hear this. This sounds like Jesus, doesn't it, when he's rebuking the Pharisees. He's saying, hey, you guys that know it all, think about this. Knowledge about God doesn't equate to character in Christ, the character of Christ. We are called to be the most loving, joyful, friendly, kind people that have ever existed. 
Remember the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you're a good, good church person, you know all of that. But do we live that? The Apostle Paul is calling these Jews out in Rome, as well as us who are in the church, to be more gracious and more kind. Then he goes on, he says, You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. The Barna Report. Half look at the church through the lens that they're hypocrites, they're judgmental, and they're homophobic. Is that true? Is that true? Then the Apostle Paul goes on in verse 25. He says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. Now, Paul brings this up, this whole circumcision thing, because the Jews believe that if, if you were a male and you were circumcised, you were a good Jew and you needed to follow the law. But he's making a point here. And here's his point. But a Jew is one inwardly, and the circumcision is a matter of the heart, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. Not by the letter. His praise is not for man, but from God. It's a heart thing. And it is a heart change. You are a Jew if your heart is right with God. You are a Christian if your heart is right with God. It's a heart thing, folks. And Paul is calling that church out as well as he calls us out. Because true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. Rather, it is a change of heart produced by the Holy Spirit. That's where it all occurs. Tim Keller said this, this way, church leader, theologian. He says, it is possible to trust in Christianity rather than in Christ. And the question then becomes, who are you trusting in? And what are you trusting in? Because you can know the gospel message and not not make any internal difference. Now, if you're feeling guilty and you're under conviction right now, I just want you to know that I feel it as well. And the Apostle Paul has a point to all of this. And so he goes on in this conversation he's having with himself in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. And he says, then what advantage has the Jew? Or, Or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. 
The law of Moses. What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? Well, of course not. Paul says, by no means. God is faithful. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? So Paul is saying here, That no matter how good we are, you're not gooder enough to fulfill the law. So we're unrighteous. That God is unrighteous to inflict the wrath on us. I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, our lives... God's truth abounds to his glory. Why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why not do evil that many may come, or that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying their condemnation is just? Wow. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying here that our condemnation is just because we are all sinners guilty. Now, are you feeling the heaviness of our guilt, of your guilt? We don't like guilt, do we? We don't like that conviction. It frustrates and it hurts, doesn't it? It depresses us. It takes energy away. And Paul goes on in this conversation and he says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? And he says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all both Jews and Greek are under sin. He's saying we're all under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And you're saying, hold on, Chris, I'm pretty good. I feel you're like you're judging me, condemning me. Verse 13, and their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. This is Paul quoting Psalms, different parts of the Psalms. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their, their eyes. They're talking, he's talking about us. He's talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Gentiles in Rome. Now, we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Paul's saying here that there's no way under the law to be good enough, to be not guilty. J.B. Phillips, who wrote the English Bible called the Phillips Translation, he, he, he says it this way. He says, indeed, it is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we, how, how crooked we are. And we've got to realize 
No one by good works or by hard work can keep the law. We will never, ever be good enough. And if you think you can be good enough, there are one of two results. Number one is spiritual pride. And the Jews had that. The Apostle Paul had that. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, the best of the best, taught of the best rabbi. And he was a murderer. Or to walk away from the faith because you know you can never be good enough and that guilt just consumes you and you walk away because you just can't do it. And if you realize you just can't do it, then you're partially right, but you shouldn't walk away. And we've got to realize this, that nothing can take away the stench of sin without a change of heart. And you're saying, well, Chris... I can't change my heart by myself, on my own. And at the same time, you know, we don't need a law to do the things that we love. I don't need a law to love my grandchildren. I don't need a law to know that I love ice cream and I like to go to the Dairy Queen and therefore every time I drive by the Dairy Queen, I want ice cream. I don't need a law to do the things that I like, but I need a law for boundaries for the things that would harm me, that would be bad for me. And in the struggle that we are in, we've, we've got to realize that sin is not really an action as much as it is a condition that we live in. So, in all of this, if you're feeling a little downtrodden, and convicted and condemned, and so do I, realize that Paul is letting us know that we are doomed, doomed, doomed. Now, where he's going in chapter 3, Martin Luther said, the great Protestant Reformation father, he said he called this next paragraph the greatest paragraph in Scripture. Tim Keller Theologian says that this is the biggest transition in all of the Bible. In a sentence is basically that this God can change us by becoming for us what we can never be on our own. And doing for us what we can never, ever do. So look at verse 21. This is super important. This is what this message is all about today. But now... Here's what Paul's saying. This is the biggest but in Scripture. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ through all who believe. How do we escape condemnation? How are we justified? How, is we, how are we one in Christ? How is our heart changed? By faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith alone. That wasn't very good. Let me, let's try that again. We are saved by faith alone. Okay, do you know that? Do you realize that? I, I can remember a little girl that, that eventually killed herself and, 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 and she came to faith and she said, now I've got to earn it. We baptized her. I taught her that she was saved by grace. I said, you will never ever earn it. 
You don't deserve it. You are saved by grace through faith. Changed your life. And it will change yours once it gets through to your heart. And I'm not sure that you really, really get how good that is. You'll never earn it. You'll never deserve it. You don't have to work for it. God loves you, and he gave it to you freely. You see, righteousness, thank you. Thank you. Righteousness is being made right with God by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. And here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he has passed over former sins. Do you hear that? Everything you have done, everything you will ever do, has been removed by the blood of Jesus. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's that simple. Faith alone. The word for being righteous, to be made right in theologic terms, is justification. And as a child, I heard what that word meant was just as if I had never sinned. That's how God sees you. So you're not doomed, doomed, doomed. You are if you're trusting in your own work. But if you're trusting, your faith is in Jesus alone. That's all removed. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles only? Yes, of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith, do we then overthrow the law by his faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. It's a boundary there for us. And on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men. What Paul, what I'm doing here is coming back to say, hey, you know, the secrets of men, the stuff that we feel guilty about, if we are in, under the blood of Jesus, if we are saved by grace through faith, which you are, then you are really saved and there is no judgment. Just as if you never sinned. R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul was asked this question. I think this is a valid question for where we are in this message. And, and the question is, well, then why do bad things happen to good people? That's a, that's a common question. And, and R.C., he, he sat back and thought about it for a minute, and he said, in all of human history, there's only that, that, that's only happened once, and he volunteered to die on a cross. There are no good people. Only one. And we are saved by grace. Folks, we are not mistakers in need of a life coach. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And that Savior saved us from being doomed, doomed, doomed 
by His grace. So we ought to be the most loving, faithful people. I have a, a, a young person that texts me on and off, and he struggles with depression and anxiety and suicidal thoughts all the time. He struggles. He struggles. And I have to remind him over and over again that if you're not dead, God's not done. And I have to encourage him over and over and end. I'm praying for you. Hang in there. God is greater. Rely on Him. And He will do that for you. And He does that for me every day. I had a young man. I was, I was out to lunch this week and nobody went with me. It was Tuesday. And I was sitting alone at a local restaurant just kind of eating. And one, uh, the guy that used to work there had come to church a few times. He just sat down. We started talking about stuff. He's so encouraging. Such a great young 20-something. And just talking about stuff. There was a, another guy. I'll call him a kid, too, in his 20s. I, if you, Don't take offense. If, you know, I'm an old man. So 20s, you're young to me. He'd done seminary work. He was disenfranchised from the church. He was far from God. And he was... He'd actually finished seminary, and he just had some real doubts. And he was listening to our conversation. And so after we got done, and my buddy had to go, he came in, and we started talking. And it was just really, really cool that, that he was talking about, you know, I'm not sure. And he had he, been raised in the Christian church, Church of Christ, but he hadn't heard about the grace of God. Didn't, wasn't familiar. Should have been. And the church he was going to, he didn't realize how religious it was and how far from grace and how rule-oriented it was and how much chaos there was there. And I had the opportunity, I said, you know, I'm preaching this weekend, Romans 3. I said, you'll never earn it, you'll never deserve it. But there is a God who loves you like crazy that is gracious and kind. And, And He is the one that you need to place your faith in. And he was a young man that had all the knowledge, all the knowledge that he needed. But he got sucked away and and was lost. You know, folks, we can't assume what we assume about people. We just need to encourage every day and be ready. And I I told him this. I said, well, you know, I won't use his name. He said, I said, even on your best day, even on your best day, you won't even come close to earning it with God. Because he said, he said to me, you know, I've done, I've, I've done a lot of wrong. And I just smiled and I said, you know, we're saved by grace through faith. Jesus paid the price. You'll never earn it, never deserve it. In a letter to Diogenes, likely the tutor of Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius, and this was around 121 AD, long after Paul wrote the book of Romans, he said, what the soul is to body is, the bo- is in the body. Christians are in the world. And the writer elaborates. He says, Christians love those who hate them. The soul is imprisoned in the body, yet keeps together that very body. And Christians are confined in the world as in a prison. And yet they keep together the world. Why? Because we are salt and light. Because of faith alone. Jesus Christ. Will you please stand as I pray? Eternal God Father, we are again so grateful.
for the grace that you give. We don't understand it. In fact, Father, we fight against it because we want to earn our way in some way. And Father, we just confess that sin. And I just pray that you'll penetrate our hearts and minds to realize how good you are and making a way that we might be saved and that our sin might not be counted against us. That, Father, even on our best day, our sin is at its filthy rags before you. Father, just now, I pray that by your Spirit that you would move hearts and minds, those that don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, no matter where they've been, what they've done, that Spirit is knocking on their door of their heart. I pray that you would move them, Father. I pray for those that are saved, that know the Lord Jesus, that have taken that great salvation for granted, that, Father, that they would be renewed, re-energized, revived to live and walk for you. And, Father, as we walk through our lives and touch people in our communities and in our families, Father, may they see the gracious, loving kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives, that we would model and be the salt and light in the world that you desire us to be. It's only by your grace, only in faith, only by your spirit can we do this. And we pray this all in Jesus' name.